Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Gramier Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at gramier.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Gramier Church of Christ. The scripture this morning will take place in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith which with a pure conscience. But let the, these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. Leadership is a popular topic today. If you walk into a bookstore or if you do a search on Amazon for books on leadership, videos on leadership, podcasts on leadership, training on leadership, there's a wide variety of things you can look at. And it's important. Leadership certainly important in Scripture. But something that's maybe not quite as popular in the sections of the bookstore or in a search on Amazon would be the idea of service. Service might not be something that's as highly valued as leadership. In fact, even when we use the word service today, we're often thinking of it in the context of a business that provides goods or services. If you're running a business, you want to have good customer service, and that's important. Uh, maybe you're selling something uh, that has an engine that needs to be serviced. Usually when we think of the word service, we're thinking of a consumer kind of relationship. Someone gives something to me, they pay this amount of money, and so of course we need to give them service. But even when we look at Scripture, the idea of service and servanthood that Jesus models takes that a step further. It's not about what someone does for me, and if someone does something for me, I'll do something for them. Jesus models the kinds of servanthood that would wash the feet of apostles, of the people he was closest to, who he knew would desert him when he was led away to be crucified. The kind of service that would wash the feet of Judas, those feet that would take him to the presence of those who wanted to, him to betray Jesus so that he could be arrested. He'd wash the feet of Peter who would stand around a charcoal fire and those feet would be standing there when Peter denies Jesus multiple times. It's that kind of servanthood that Jesus models. That he would tell his apostles as they were listening that you know the way that the Gentiles practice leadership. They lord it over you. That's not the way we're going to practice leadership. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we get to the New Testament and when we get to the model of leaders in the church that God gives us, the elders who are shepherding the flock and the deacons who were serving, that the model we get is a model of servant leaders. Uh, it's more than just something that might be sort of a trendy uh, topic to discuss in a leadership realm. It's a way of life that God sets forth. And this is an exciting time in the life of our congregation. I was thinking just this week, uh, since the beginning of June, when we had our first week of Murray Christian Camp, 
I think we have celebrated with, at least by my count, at least nine individuals who've put Christ on in baptism just in the few weeks between then and now. We've had families that have placed membership with us between then and now. We've had uh, a vacation Bible school and an active youth group that's been doing all kinds of things this summer. And we've reflected on the fact, I don't know if you were able to see in the bulletin, all the families that were helped throughout the year through our clothes closet. And that's just a taste of some of the ministries that are active and that are going and that have new opportunities to reach others. And so when we think about the announcement that was made a couple of weeks ago, as we're in the process of appointing additional deacons, this is an exciting time because this means there are uh, new avenues for ministry that are, are going to be opened up. There are new ways for people to get involved. Uh, in many ways, we're recognizing some of the things that have already been happening uh, and that we just want to make sure we're capitalizing on that, on these new ministries and making sure we've got the organization in place where they can go the long haul. This is an exciting time. And so we're going to be spending some time in First Timothy thinking about the kinds of qualities that we're looking for when we're looking for servant leaders. Now, there are a lot of different organizations that uh, you could look at uh, today. There are a lot of different ways in which uh, people organize groups. Scripture gives us guidelines for how the church was organized. And so we see that in the way the term shepherds and, and elders is used throughout uh, scripture, and we know that concept, it would have been very familiar to those who'd grown up in Jewish uh, communities that understood what it was like to have the elders that met at the, the town gates and those kinds of things. But we also have, and it seems like, at least to me, it crops up first in Acts. When you have in Acts chapter 6, all of a sudden the apostles have so much going on that there are important acts of service that need to be taken care of, and so they appoint men to oversee those things. I believe that gives us at least a picture of what the servant leadership role of deacons are. And I know that the passage that Andy read for us may be a familiar one to us, but it's often worth going through these familiar passages and verses and thinking carefully about the kinds of qualities that are described there. Now, a lot of times when we read through this passage, we think in terms of qualifications. And I think that's a good word. We understand there are certain things that need to be there for someone to qualify for a specific role. But it's not only a one-time qualification. This is an enduring quality, hopefully, that these leaders are going to continue to grow in. I think for just a moment about some of the things that you have known at one point in your life in order to qualify for something. So, for example, there was a time in my life when I could recite the prologue to the Canterbury Tales in the best uh, Old English pronunciation I could muster. The reason I could do that is because we had an English teacher who required us to learn that. I was doing it for a grade, and so we'd memorized it, we'd do the best we can. Now, if you ask me to do that today, I might be able to remember the first line, but I probably don't remember the whole thing, right? I, I learned it in order to sort of qualify to pass this test, but then, as you know, as often happens, we don't always remember those things. Uh, I, those, the same thing is true for the periodic table in chemistry. 
There was a time when I had to learn what was on that periodic table. I wouldn't trust myself to be able to tell you much about it right now. Or maybe words you learn in a foreign language, where you learn it and then you, you have what's ready for the test and you pass the test and then you move on to something else and you're learning something different and it's easy to forget those things. That's not the kind of qualification that Paul is giving Timothy here. He's saying, look for these qualities. These, these are the kinds of leaders that we want to appoint in this specific role. Now, the term deacon in Scripture, in Greek, just simply means servant. And so every time we see the word used, that we translate deacon, it could also be translated servant, and we've got to look at the context to be able to judge, okay, is this used in a specific way, or is this used in more of a general servant term, like a table servant? For example, in John chapter 2 and verse 5, the word for the deacon for diaconus is used to describe servants at a wedding feast. Well, that context tells us these are servants that are taking care of needs at a feast. But then when we read the beginning of the book of Philippians, for example, and Paul and Timothy are described as servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, well, that's another place where it seems that there's a specific role for these servants, these deacons, that it's used to describe something. And so anytime we see that term, we look at the context to see what it means. And when Paul's writing to Timothy, it's important for Timothy to know a, a lot of things. I mean, just reading through 1 Timothy gives us a primer on everything, the challenges that Timothy was facing and the things the church needed to know. And after spending time at the beginning part of chapter 3, thinking about elders, beginning in verse 8, he starts to describe deacons. And I want us just to think through the passage that we just read, and then we're going to walk through very simply these qualities. Because as a congregation, we're in that process where over the next couple of weeks, there will be discussions happening with uh, men who are going to be asked to serve in this role of deacon. And so it's important that we know what Scripture says. What, what does God say about this? And so after this description of elders, Paul says, well, likewise, deacons must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So it seems that we get two general areas here we're looking at when we think about these qualities. One would maybe be described as the personal life of a deacon. Uh, how does uh, a deacon uh, handle challenges that he faces? How does he carry himself in his life? And then a family life, a family description. So let's think first of this personal life, the life description that we see here. Paul says that a deacon should be dignified. And I don't know what you think of when you think of the word dignified. Uh, maybe you think of uh, someone who is, is dressed as if they're attending a very important event and they always carry themselves as if they're proper and dignified. 
Uh, the language here seems to indicate a serious, mature perspective. So when you have servants that are doing the work of the Lord, those decisions need to be made maturely. I don't think we see any indication here that if you're dignified, that you should always be very serious and grim, maybe look like you're not feeling very well. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's not the image we see of joyful Christians, at least in Scripture. We want to be joyful, we want to be upbeat, we want to be positive, but there's a maturity that's here. And so when someone's making a decision, when someone's leading in a ministry, and maybe encountering people involved in a ministry and representing the Lord and representing His church, we want to make those decisions in mature ways. The next part of that description is a phrase we might not use very often today, the double-tongued, but we, we might think more about someone who is two-faced. Because the idea carries with it, I'm going to say one thing to this person and another thing to this person. That's sort of the idea of the double tongue going. And I'll tell you one thing that you want to hear, but I'll tell you something else that you want to hear. And obviously, if you've got a servant who's leading others, that not only is that not a, a Christian way to live, it's not a way a follower of Christ would live, but that also isn't going to be good for the ministry that's being led. Deacons are in important roles. And chances are, in some of the ministries that they're leading, they may have some sensitive information, or, or they may be talking to people who share with them things that don't need to be shared with other people. And so the ability and trustworthiness for someone to know, I can, I can share this with this person, and I don't have to worry that I'm going to hear one thing from them, and then someone else is going to hear something different. So that's important. And then Paul goes on to describe that they should not be addicted and they should not be addicted to wine here. And some have looked at the difference between the qualifications described for elders, uh, not addicted to wine, and then in deacons, not addicted to much wine, or not given to much wine, and maybe tried to sort of do a little hair splitting of what does that mean for this one and for this one. I think if we do that, I think we're missing the point here. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that in the ancient world, when Paul's writing to Timothy... Uh, that life was different in a lot of ways. And one of the ways life was different is that wine used in Bible times is, is different than what we think of today. It would have been lightly fermented. Often, historically, we can tell it was diluted uh, with water. And by the way, during this time, water was not always safe to drink or reliable. And so this is a kind of wine that would have to be consumed in large quantities in order to be drunk. This helps us understand Paul's warning here. So we need to understand that difference and have a clear understanding of how to apply this principle. Uh, and if we look through Scripture and if we say, okay, let me find one Scripture that says any sip of ever having wine is sinful, it's going to be tough for us to find that in Scripture because we're looking in the ancient world. And again, there were differences there. So I understand that. But I also understand that if if I'm going to be looking at Scripture and I'm trying to find sort of an excuse or, or a loophole that says, hey, maybe drinking's not so bad, I ought to ask myself, what's my motivation for that? I bring this up because it wasn't too long ago. I, I sort of witnessed a, an online debate. Those are always uh, fun to witness. They're, they're not as fun to be in, but it's interesting to watch as people go back and forth. 
And as we think about this particular subject, there are just some questions that I would want to ask myself. I would say, you know, Scripture has much more to say in warning about wine or about uh, drunkenness than using it in a positive light, other than medicinal purposes, and Paul tells Timothy. Uh, there are times to use it for medicinal purposes. We don't see much positive about it. So if I really want to follow God and I, I, I want to honor Scripture, and I'm trying to find kind of a, a, a thing where maybe this isn't so bad, I need to ask myself, why, why am I trying to find those reasons? Uh, we live in a world where we don't have the same challenges they did in the ancient world. We don't have to worry about the kinds of water that we drink. Uh, mostly, we have that ability. Why would I want to put myself in a situation that would lead to something sinful. And I've, I've had the discussions, and I know you have too, as, as we think about, well, what about this situation and what about that situation? I know you could get into a lot of hypothetical situations, and I believe Scripture guards the idea of drunkenness and treats it so seriously that I would want to guard myself against ever taking a step in that direction. But even if we're not looking at Scripture... I've known enough people in ministry, and you probably have as well, uh, where uh, you realize the serious detrimental nature that drunkenness, that alcoholism can cause. Someone might say, well, you know, just one or only a little bit. I understand that, but I can tell you stories of families for whom just a little bit tore them apart. Why would we want to go in that direction? Why do we want to head there? I, I like what uh, Lonnie Jones said. He spoke at our VBS of one of our adult Bible classes, and he's just a quotable guy to listen to. He just, he's able to sort of say things that stick with you. And I can remember him talking about fatherhood one time, and he says, I have yet to find a man who said, you know what really makes me better at being a father? Alcohol. I've, I've stuck with me, and I've thought about that. If I've got certain priorities, I want to make sure that there's not an addiction that is making it fuzzy as to what I'm looking for. I want to be clear-eyed and know who I'm serving. And it's not just that kind of addiction, but it's also addiction to greed and to things, to stuff that's described here, not fond of sordid gain. You're looking for personal qualities in the lives of a servant that are trustworthy. In many cases, if you're serving as a deacon, you're going to be in charge of budgeting things, and you're going to be the one entrusted with making different purchases or, or making sure this budget is managed. Anytime we choose someone that we want to be in charge of an investment or of money, we want someone to be trustworthy. And so that's important to think of. Greed can change our priorities. We want to have priorities that are ordered by God. And then holding to faith with a clear conscience this describes someone who is doing his best from a sincere heart, holding on to faith, clear-eyed, saying, I want to serve God the best that I possibly can. And it implies that that faith is continuing to grow, that you're holding on to that. And then, Paul says, you will be tested. Uh, and so the idea is there's a way in which uh, faith has been shown, has been proven, that when someone's selected to serve as a deacon, it's because they're already being faithful. They're already serving faithfully. In fact, often individuals are asked to serve as deacons over areas where they're already working in ministry. They've already shown that they're faithful there. 
And then another phrase that I think might cause us to stop for a moment is the phrase beyond reproach. This is also a description of how elders and shepherds should be. Beyond reproach. Now, again, in our minds, we often think of this and equate this with perfection. That somehow this is perfect or flawless or sinless. Well, if that's the case, none of us qualify. None of us would qualify to serve God in any capacity. But it seems to be that it's someone's reputation in the sense that if if someone were to say something about someone else, and you said, you know, I heard this about him. If someone heard that, would they say, that doesn't sound right. That I can't believe that. Because they know that individual's character, and they know that individual's reputation, and they're saying, you know, I'm just, I don't think I buy that. I'd have to, I'd be very surprised if that were the case. Beyond reproach reminds us of a kind of life that signals to other people this individual's putting God first and serving faithfully and setting the right kind of example. So we have life descriptions described here, but there's also a family description that's given. Here's how family life works for these specific servants. And as Paul describes this, he describes deacons as husbands of one wife. Literally, the text says, a one-woman man. You have a husband who's committed to his wife, not practicing any kind of polygamy or anything else that might have been present in the ancient world. Someone who's holding to God's plan for marriage. And when we think about what Scripture has to say about marriage, we're reminded of the high standards that God gives us for a a scriptural marriage and if a man's in a scriptural marriage then he is a one woman man for example in Romans 7 we find that when death separates two spouses the living spouse is free to remarry or Matthew 19 when we see that when one spouse has committed adultery the other can have a scriptural divorce and remarriage and so if you've got a husband in that dedicated scriptural marriage relationship he is a one woman man And then there's a description here about the wives or women described in chapter 3. And without going into too much detail, it's it's good for us to be reminded of just the way uh, language worked, uh, especially when we think about Greek in the New Testament. Uh, There are times when you have the words for men and women, and they're also used to describe husbands and wives. And so you have to look at the context here, where the context here is that deacons are described as, as one a women, a one-woman man. And so when these women are described, that seems to be applying to the wives of these deacons. That's why you have some translations that would say their wives also must be this. It's sort of making that connection for us. But I think it's a reminder to us that the service of a deacon is a, a, a family uh, service. It's not just the individual that's leading it, that's doing the serving. Uh, There's a faithful family that's going to be serving right alongside them. And so they're described as being dignified, a synonym of respectful. In a world that's filled with disrespect, uh, it's going to be important to hold respect. Uh, Not malicious gossips, slandering people. Uh, Must be temperate. Usually when we hear the word temperance, we're thinking about self-control in a relationship with alcohol, but this is self-control in every area of life, being temperate. And then not only is this deacon called to be a faithful husband to his wife, 
but also a faithful follower. Paul would say a good manager of children and households. Again, no family is perfect. And so if I read this and I think, well, I guess in order to be a deacon, I have to be a perfect father. In order to be an elder, I have to be a perfect father. I like to think about the fact that when Peter writes in the New Testament, in 1 Peter, he's writing from the perspective of one who's serving as a shepherd of the church, as an elder. But we know Peter's life. We know the mistakes Peter's made. We can see, I mean, it's chronicled for us the times he's fallen short, but that didn't disqualify him from going on to serve as a shepherd. And so again, we're not holding up a standard of perfection, but Paul is saying it's important for us to display how we're going to lead by the way we lead our family. And so that means the role of deacon is reserved for men who were fathers of children. Uh, and there's a difference between the qualifications of elders here and the qualifications of deacons. Elders are described as having believing children. Here we see that deacons are described as having children that they're taking care of, that they're leading, managing their house well. Now, one of the questions that may come up as we read through a passage like this is to say, okay, well now, when we think about children, what does that mean? Deacon having children, is, does one child uh, count in that, or are we looking for multiple children? Uh, now, when you think about the way we use that language today, uh, when you have a child and someone asks, do you have children, how would you respond? You would say, well, yes, we do. We have one child. I think about even the way uh, Sarah describes that as she anticipates the birth of Isaac and, and celebrates that birth. Because in Genesis 21, in verse 7, as she's celebrating the birth of Isaac they'd waited so long for, she says, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? You catch that? She says, Who would have thought Sarah would have children, and I have? I've had a son. So I think we see a connection there. Now, someone might say, well, you know more about parenting when you have two children more than one child. But you can say that about three children more than two children or four children more than three children. Or, I mean, you can add that up. There's a lot we have to learn. The idea is, do we have an individual who is showing how to manage a household? Is showing how he's leading his household and how he's training his children. And so we have that life description in family description here. Many of these things, as we read through these qualities of deacons, I think apply to, to all of us. There are many ways that all of us, no matter what our situation is, we want to model ourselves after these things. It's also important for us to, to go through a list like this one and to discuss it so that our young people know, hey, this is, this is where we're headed. This is, if I want to be a leader in the church, here are some things I need to start thinking about right now. I need to start planning my life so I can serve one day as a deacon or an elder. Uh, I, th I think we need to be encouraging that, uh, that we need to be showing people what an incredible way uh, we can be used by God to serve in those capacities and what an honor it is. You have this life description and a family description. And as we think about this, especially in the life of this congregation, we're entering into a time where we're going to be thinking about service. We're going to be discussing things. In fact, in a congregation this 
size with this many talented people. There are some who are going to be asked to serve in a specific way, and then others who might not be asked to serve in that way. But all of us are called to serve. All of us have a place. All of us have a way to get involved. And so as we look forward to the future and as we're excited about what's coming, I think it's also good to be reminded uh, whatever the opportunities I have before me, I want to find the area that God has given me an opportunity to serve, and I want to serve there. And I, I want to prepare myself so that in the future, when there's a need for me in other ways, that I can be able to serve. I hope that we're praying. I hope that we're praying for our shepherds, for wisdom in this process, for those who will serve as deacons, those who are currently serving as deacons and have been meeting and planning for the ministries and all the reorganization that's, that's going to be taking place over these next few weeks. This is an exciting time. Let's continue to be prayerful. And as we reflect on service, I know this is maybe not typically uh, a, a sermon where we would associate this with a, a, a powerful invitation that connects with it. We've been looking at some important matters, but they've been matters we're thinking of as a church family. So now let's think in our individual lives. How do I view service to others? Am I willing to serve only when I'm given something in return? Am I willing to serve the people who are nice to me, who are good to me, kind to me? Am I willing to serve my friends, people that I have a lot in common with, uh, people that I already agree with a lot on certain issues? Or am I willing to be the servant leader that Jesus models for us? Am I willing to be the kind of servant who would wash the feet of others, even those that I know are going to disappoint or let me down? When we look at the example Jesus gives us, the ultimate way in which he serves us, no matter what decisions we have made or will make, the way he serves us is by offering us a way to spend an eternity with him. And so when we think about the kind of servant leadership that Jesus modeled, it's hard to think about that without picturing the service that took him to the cross. In that even at what could only be described as the lowest, most difficult, and most painful and, and shameful moment that you could imagine on the cross, he looked at the very people who were doing this and said, Father, forgive them. What he wanted more than anything else was forgiveness for the people he was there to serve. And it's that forgiveness that's open and available for every single one of us this morning. It may be that you need to put Christ on in baptism. We've celebrated several baptisms. We'd love to celebrate more. It may be that you just want to start studying and thinking through some of these issues. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you're interested in, in prayers or having some time of prayer right after this worship, if you go out this doorway, a couple of our shepherds would love to sit down and, and pray with you privately and encourage you that way. But it may be that having the prayers of this whole church family could be just the blessing that you need. Let's leave here determined to be servants and to lead others to Christ. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing together.